0: Good morning, Third Street. Morning. Sorry, my little ears do not work well. And, you know, Jordan, mad props to you for being here, but make sure you get that tape next time, Sam. Just kidding, I can't even say that. This is wedding day. All right, so um, we're going to try to go with this. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right, so you already shook it out. Everybody already ready to go. Everybody's excited, right? Yes. Okay, that was weak. I was really weak. I know we exerted so much energy worshiping that your lungs have just gotten tired, right? But I, I'm going to say it one more time. Good morning, 3rd Street. Good morning. There it is. There it is. All right, so like Corey said um, in his uh, all-too-kind introduction, my name is Deshaun. I've been part of 3rd Street since, since the beginning, since the early days, since pre-3rd uh, Street, uh, since, since Sherrick Road, um, Junior High Girls, Hot peanut butter, you'll, you'll get that later. Ask us what that means later on. Um, but the fact of the matter is God has graced us and given us the opportunity to be a part of this gathered body um, and see it through and see how it's, how it's grown and see how it's changed and the many different faces that have come to be a part of it. Man, it's, it's a blessing. It's a blessing for me uh, to, to see that God has brought us five years, and, and by his grace, he's going to keep us going for five, ten 15, 20. However many more years he sees fit for us to keep gathering and making an impact in this city. Am I right? All right. All right. So how many of you this morning know that God is with you? How, I got about, what, five people who know that God is with them? The rest of you need convinced. Okay. How many of you this morning know that God is with you? Now, I promise you, Rev, I don't know, this must have been the Spirit stirring something up. You must have taken a peek at my notes, but but that's literally one of my points today is that God is with you right. so I think somebody here this morning needs to hear that word that, that God has not left you alone that he's with you that wherever you may be whatever situation you may be going through whatever a discontent whatever frustration whatever barren situation you may be experiencing God is right there with you he's not distant he's not far off he's, he's with you he's waiting for you to call out to him right now that That has to be enough, guys. Well, that's one of the things I was, I, was, I, was, I was reading about and I was processing through this week is that most of us we know that we hear that we hear, yeah. okay, God is with us, yes. but what else uh-huh. Like, yeah, God is with that's good I, I, I appreciate you saying that I, I feel it sometimes, and I, I got to decide whether it's it's the taco Bell I ate or or if it's the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure, but God, yeah, I get it, but but what else, what else? Yeah, and, and what else like it, God is with me, cool, but yeah. what else? Okay. You guys remember this commercial? Um, this this commercial where this guy, he's a kid, it starts out, thank you. Oh, yes. That's why you're my guy. It's, it's, t- not, it's, not <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay. Someday we'll get flesh tone colored mics. <laughs> We're not ESPN, it's all good. <laughs> That's much better. It's much better. Okay. <laughs> amen. Amen. All right. Now, you remember this commercial, right? I've got a, I've got a long way to go, guys, and I I just want to preface. I'll tell Corey, I'm going to preface. You may be sitting here longer than what you're used to. This is This is not a customary Sunday. This is a special Sunday, so I get a little bit longer to preach today than what you're used to, right? So can I get an amen on that? Not like a... Mm, how long is he talking? Are we talking like 15, 20 minutes more? or Where, where are we at, right? No, this, the Holy Spirit is going to move and stir up, and I might be up here for a little bit. So just give me some space. Give me some space. All right, so this commercial, what happens is this kid, he's, he's there, and his mom gets him a gift. And he gets the gift, and he opens it up, and he looks up at his mom, and he says, and? Fast forward a few years later at school. You know, teacher uh, gives him a, an A+. Plus. Lands it on his desk. He looks at his teacher. He goes, and? Fast forward. He's sitting in front of uh, uh, his boss. His boss says, I'm going to give you this promotion. He looks up at his boss. He says, and? Uh-huh. Right? So the point of that commercial, I think it was, was never be satisfied. Don't, you know, don't settle. You know, always ask for more, right? The fact of the matter is, that's how we approach God sometimes. Right? We know God is with us, uh-huh. but what else? That's good, but and, right? If we do not believe that God's presence being with us is enough, then, then what, are we, what are we doing here? What are we building here? What are we looking for? What are you here for? Yeah. What do you want God to do for you? Right. If the presence of the eternal God my, my, my. is not enough for you, what do you want? Mm. What is it? Mm. I'm asking for real. Like, think about it. Process it. Is it healing? Are you sick? You want healing from God? Yeah, his presence is with me, but I've got this illness. I've got this sickness. I'm being for real here. Man, I really need this healing. Is it deliverance from the pain you're going through? Miss Sylvia, this looks painful. I pray that God heals that. But I know you, and I know you're like, God is with me anyway. Is it pain that you want him to deliver you from? Is it validation about the way that you're living? God, I know that you're with me parentheses, as long as you agree with the way that I'm living, as long as you say that this lifestyle, these decisions I'm making are okay. This was supposed to be an encouragement sermon. I'm getting there. Just give me some time. (laughs) Is it that promotion? Is it the financial strain? You're going, God, I know you're with me, but money's tight. My money's looking real funny. Uh, And I could really use just a little bump. I could wait for for that Biden check to come through. Praise God for that anyway. Amen. Or maybe it's that relationship you're waiting on or the goals that you haven't accomplished. God, I know you're with me, but I've got a few things I need to accomplish. I've got to get this degree. I've got to get married. I've got to have kids. I'm 34. I've got to do a timeline. working it out. What is it that you want God to do more for you? God being with us has to be enough. It has to be enough. That's the greatest gift we can have is his presence with us. And that's where I got to start. That's got to be the foundation that we build at Third Street. That's the foundation we built five years ago. And we didn't build it. God already built it. We just hopped onto it. Mm. Our belief at Third Street is that when every single member of the gathered collective church lives out daily this reality that God is with me and so God being yes. with me is enough I'm going to walk into every space that I go into yes. and I'm going to embody and inhabit that truth yes. that's going to be what transforms our families yes. our communities, yes. our city our systems it has to be, Come on. It has to be enough Come on. then we can be a vehicle for uniting people in the name of Christ yes. Yes, sir. renewing our minds by, by learning from this thing called the Bible I know this little paper's got some, some words in there. You should get into it. It's really good. Renewing our minds by learning the implications of the Bible in our lives in order that we may be restored. And then also be a part of restoration of other people's lives. Man. Just in case you guys didn't. That's what's, that's what's up there. You, unite, renew, restore. I, I, I can go back through it, but that's why we're here. That's the three pillars that Third Street founded on. Like Corey said, five years ago, we got this idealistic group of people hopeful about what God, what God could do. And we, we, we embarked on this journey. People thought it was foolish. Let me say, what, what are you doing building a church down there? What are you doing building a church in that building? Like, <laughs> that's right. Like, are you sure? What's the financial situation going to look like? What's tithing? How are you going to figure out tithing? And yet God has preserved us and sustained us because of the generosity of people, of the church, but also by his sustaining us. God has been with us and he's enough. And like I said, I've been transformed by this experience. I've been changed. I have grown. I will never be the same because of what God has done through this body. My wife can say the same thing, and I know many of, of y'all can say the same thing. And so I just, I just, Got to say, before we jump in, I start praying. I know this is a long introduction, but it had to be done. And I warned you, it's going to be long. But I had to make sure we understood where we're going is that God is with us, regardless of what happens. That's what Third Street's about. So I'm all, I want us to give an applause to God for what he's done, for being with us. I want us to give an applause to, I know they're going to hate this, to Corey and Rachel for, for being our faithful servant leaders. I want to give an applause to the staff that's part of this church street, because you guys, do, you guys do the background work that nobody wants to do, but makes this happen, and I want to give an applause to volunteers, like people like Jordan, who miss out on their wedding, no, I'm just kidding, you're not going to miss out on your wedding, Hallelujah. who decide that on the day of their wedding, they're going to come and serve the church, and I asked him, like, what are you doing here? He asked, I think, was asked about 20 times, aren't you getting married today? He's yeah. <laughs> like, oh, shoot, yeah, I am, no, no, and he says, you know what, I, I I just feel like I, need, I do my role. Like That's what I'm doing. So praise God. Praise God. Yeah. All right, let's pray and let's get into it. All right, bow your heads with me and let's pray. Gracious Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us. Uh, I thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice that was made on the cross on our behalf to draw us closer to you. I thank you that every single day you desire to be with us, even though in your splendor, in your glory, in your majesty, you sit so high and above what we are as this broken human collection of beings. But you want to be near us. And so I thank you that you make every effort to pursue us. And that's what we see in the scriptures. You consistently and continually pursue your people. We thank you that you've opened up the way now so that anybody can be your people any background, any ethnicity, any race can be your people. And thank you for what you are doing through Third Street and the fact that we want to embody that same spirit, that anybody can be God's people. And pray that you would teach us what you want in this word, God. I pray that you would let the words of my mouth the meditations and purpose, posture of my heart be acceptable to you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Okay, so let's let's do a little recap. We've been going through the Book of Haggai, small book, Old Testament. Uh, the f- last couple of weeks you've not been here. Um, Corey has kind of walked us through what is going on. I want to do a brief recap of what's happening. Um, the Israelites have been exiled for a long time. They've been exiled. They were outside. They were taken out of their land where they were. And they went uh, and, and lived for about 70 years in this place uh, called uh, Persia, in the, in the Babylonian Empire. They were not, they were without a home. Their, their city was destroyed. Their temple was destroyed. They were in another land, strangers in another land. They were not comfortable. They were not in a good situation. And part of it is because they were continually rebelling against God. God was like, come back to me. They're like, no, but we want this. Come back to me. We are distracted by this. We want these things. So God said, okay, I'm going to let this thing happen to you um, because you keep rebelling against me. Well, the good thing is all hope is not lost because even in the exile, God is with them. You go back through the book of Jeremiah, you realize that God has been with his people even in the exile. And you look at Daniel and you realize that God is elevating people into places of position that they shouldn't be. But that's because he cares for his people. He's not forgotten his people. In Jeremiah 31, it says, those who survive the coming destruction will find blessing even in a barren land. For I will give rest to the people of Israel. God is with his people even in exile, even in the barren land. I don't know what kind of barren land you may be going through. Someone this morning may need to hear that the barren land that I'm going through, this desert that it seems like I'm parched, I've got nothing, Lord. Whatever you may be going through, that God is in that with you. So in the last two weeks, we've seen that the prophet Haggai has given a prophecy to the remnant. Everybody say remnant. 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 Remnant means just those who remained, those who were left, those who went back uh, uh, with, the, uh, with the permission of the king, King Cyrus, said, go back, rebuild. Go make your temple. Go make your city back into what you want it to be. Go worship your people. As long as you keep allegiance with me, I'm cool. Go do your thing. And so the remnant goes back and they start to build. And they build the foundations of the temple. They start to build the foundations. Mm-hmm. Something happens along the way. Uh-huh. You get a little distracted. The foundations there, it started. And then where we get to in Haggai, mm-hmm. the foundation has somehow been deserted. And now we got them building their own fancy houses, mm. paneled houses. Mm. Not just any old kind of house, the, the nice paneling. It yeah. means it took time. They, they had to take time to construct their own thing. And you know what? I want to make my home beautiful. I just want to do some home decoration. It's all good. But the temple needs done. It's not time yet. I got to finish my paneling. And as a result, then God allows the people, the remnant, to experience famine, thirst, and everything that they put their hands to it says that it came to nothing. So this is where we find ourselves. He was not about to reward their disobedience with his blessing. That's just that's just the truth of it. He was not going to be like, I see what you're doing. Ah, You're still my people. I got to bless you. No, he was not about to reward their disobedience with his blessing. So the people of Israel. Are in a position they got to choose. They got to choose. Do I want to continue building my own thing or do I want to go behind what you've got going for me? So why does all of this background matter? Because I think something we say often at 3rd Street is that we need to avoid the dangers of casual reading. We need to not take something out of context and just plug it into what we want to interpret, right? Uh It helps us to gain empathy for the remnant when we realize that some stuff has happened. See, when they came and they started to build the foundation, they, 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 they first started out with the blessing of King Cyrus, right? So King Cyrus was was moved by God to, to give them material, give them resources, go back and build the foundation, go back and build the temple. Well, they get there and they experience a little bit of opposition. There's some people who don't want to see them build what they are building. And so because they don't want them to continue building, they start to stir up a little bit of trouble. They start to say, we don't want you to build here. We're going to write a letter to the king and so time goes on back and forth. It's kind of like a, like a daytime soap opera. You go back and read through Ezra. These letters are going back and forth. Yes, we want, he, we want him to build. No, we don't. And, and this new king now, King Artaxerxes. Everybody say Artaxerxes. So he, he, doesn't, he doesn't approve of what's happening, right? So he says, no, no, you need to stop building. He went, I, said, I, went, I went back and I looked at the archives, and you Israelites, you guys are a bunch of trouble. I want you to stop what you're doing. Stop building your trouble. Just quit. So they start the foundation. Yeah. They get this opposition. And they give up. Mm. They're afraid. Uh-huh. They say, you know what? We, we got to stop. We got to stop. So for 15 years, 15 years, the foundation sits untouched. Wow. And while it sits untouched, it's like, well, he didn't say we couldn't build our own fancy houses, though. He just said stop building yeah. temples. so let's build our homes. Now how many of you I know it's easy to look back and say, man, I can't believe they just quit like that. I can't believe they just after a little bit of opposition, they just gave up on what God was telling them to do. I cannot imagine what that would be like. Facing a bit of opposition and be like, "It's cool. You know, I'm I'm we're good. I'm just I'm just I want to be peaceful. We're people of peace. I don't want to stir up any trouble." Right? It helps us to gain some empathy so we can put ourselves in the position of this remnant and say, man, okay, how would I respond? How is God wanting me to respond in the opposition I may be facing at work? How is God wanting me to respond in the opposition I may be facing in my own neighborhood? How would I respond in the opposition that my family is giving me about following Jesus? am Am I hitting somebody today? So the first thing that we see, though, is in the midst of all of this stuff, in the midst of what seems to be chaos and disruption and exile, God is orchestrating. He's right in the middle of it. He's not distant. He's not far. He's right in the middle of it. And that's the first point we got for today. I've got three points. And I do not promise to be quick, but I will be out of your way at some point in time. God is in the middle of it. So by this point, the spirit, where we get to in Haggai chapter 2, verse 1, the spirit has stirred up something. This is what Corey was talking about last week. He said the spirit stirred up Zerubbabel. The spirit stirred up Joshua. The spirit stirred up the remnant. The spirit stirred them up so that they got enthusiasm. And I like the word zeal. Can everybody say the word zeal with me? Zeal Zeal means you have this, like, just you got to go. Like, I've got this energy. I just, I need to do it. So the Spirit stirred up zeal in the remnant, and they started to build. So we're going to start. We're going to read Haggai 2, verse 1 through 9. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn through there. It is after the book of Zephaniah and just before the book of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament, just before Matthew. If you don't have your Bibles, it's up on the screen. Or you can use your cell phone to stay off of social media, please. Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Hallelujah. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of God. That first line, in the seventh month of the 21st day of the month, would have been about, right about now, actually. Late September, October, it would have been a significant date. A lot of times when you see a date in the Bible, generally there's a reason that date is specifically put in there. So this time, I mean, and it's similar to us now. Right now, if you go out in the country, we don't get to see this because we're in the city. You go out in the country. I got my friend Kyle. He's a farmer. Uh, he went to Malone. He's a farmer. I don't know what else to say. Um, <laughs> but, but what he does is, is around where he's at, right now is harvest time. Yeah. Right now they start to harvest. They start to bring in everything that they've been working hard for throughout the whole year. Mm-hmm. They start to harvest and bring it in. Now in an agrarian culture, which they were in, when it was harvest time, That was when you started to give thanks because of the blessing, the amount that God had given to you. Thank you, God, for everything that you have given us. And and they would celebrate what God had done for them. Not only that, but this was also significant because this was the, the last day of an important festival within the Israelite tradition called the Festival of Tabernacles. Now, the festival of tabernacles was a time. Now, Israel had a bunch of different festivals because they had to look back. They had to, they had to go back constantly and be reminded, God, we remember when you did this for us. The festival of tabernacles or the, the festival of tents was when they would look back and say, when we were in the wilderness, we remember how God kept us safe and he protected us. And we wandered around in the desert and he gave us these tents to live in. And the tabernacle that we had to build was a mobile one. It was a tent. And so they celebrated that. Now this was also the time when they would gather in the temple yes. and they would bring in the harvest, they would celebrate remembering what God had done for them, and it would be great and glorious and salvation awesome. Yes. Just, just oh, this is great. Now, background is really important. Yes. We just learned that because the Israelites had not been obedient to what God had asked them to do, yes. they had been experiencing a famine. Which means that when it came time to harvest and bring in all the stuff that they had been grateful for, yeah. there was nothing. Yeah. What you got over there? Oh, got an ear of corn. Well, I think if we take, pluck off the little ears, we can all share a little bit. Yeah. What do you got over there? I got one stalk of wheat. My, my, my. Got it right here. Not only that, but they were They were tired building this foundation of this temple, which, by the way, they were supposed to be in to worship. That there was no harvest, there was no temple, there was no joy, there was no celebration. And they were supposed to celebrate. You ever been in a position like that? Where you're expected to celebrate. It was like, just be thankful. Thankful for what? What am I thankful for? What do I need to be thankful for? You tell me, what should I be thankful for? You look at my life. You see what's going on in my life. You know the relational stuff that I've been through. What am I supposed to be thankful for? God, what am I supposed to thank you for right now? Life? Great. This life's awesome. Have ever been in a position like that? Just me? So they're in a place where they don't feel like they can celebrate. And it's pretty depressing, right? Don't worry. It gets worse. So verse 2. He says, ask the people, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it nothing in your eyes? Man, what a what a harsh question, man. Yeah. You ever heard the, the, the statement or the phrase, pouring salt in the wound? Yes. Or like, add insult to injury? Yeah. Anybody ever gotten salt in the wound? Mm-hmm. Stings. Yeah. It's, it's really annoying. It's like, ha, ah, you know, right? Yeah. But that's what I feel like is happening here. You almost feel like, yeah, man, why are you? you asking that question. See, those who would have seen the original temple would have been about 70, 80 years old within that age range. So they were your elderly folks. They probably were not building the temple, but they were overseeing it. Sitting in some rockers saying, that's nah, not where that goes. You put that over there. I have a lot of respect for the elderly. Please don't take that as a slight. Grandma up. You're not elderly. You're just... Just sly. <laughs> so these elderly folks, 78 years old, and they're sitting there and they're witnessing what's being built. Yes. And it, in Ezra, if you go back in Ezra, it says, "When they built the foundation, the young people rejoice they're like, "We built the foundation. We did it. Can you believe it? Look at this foundation. Look at that. I did that quarter. That was me. And the elderly folks, the old folks are looking at it. they're, <laughs> what is this?" Look at this garbage. I remember looking at the temple when I was young and I, it was it blew my mind. And you you're excited about this? Sit down, child. You don't even know. Now, the temple that they would have seen, Solomon's temple, the instructions for that were given back in Deuteronomy. The Israelites didn't get around to building it until after David when Solomon was king. Now, when Solomon built this temple, by the time he had the resources to build this temple, he would have probably been the richest man in the world at that time. Estimated adjusted for inflation, of course. His wealth would have been about 2.2 trillion dollars. I don't even know what that looks like. Is that a mountain of money? I don't know. That's that's Bill Gates, that's Elon Musk, that's Steve Jobs, rest in peace. That's Jeff Bezos combined. Richer than all those guys? Yeah. That's filthy rich. That's what you call filthy rich. Yes. Dude was filthy rich. So because he had all these resources, and God had given him very specific instructions on how to build the temple, he adorned this temple so it was, it was glorious. Yeah. It was beautiful. There was gold overlaying everything. The pillars were ornately carved. This thing was magnificent. Yeah. Magnificent. And so these elderly, these senior Israelites, when they see this foundation, and they've experienced that glorious thing, they're like, oh, this does not compare. Anybody ever been to Cedar Point? Yeah, it's a great place. I I was up there many years ago. Um, The last time I was there, I, I, I made it straight for this one ride. Top Thrill Dragster. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is this still there? Did they shut it down? I feel like they might have shut it down for safety reasons. Too many whiplash. When I went there, I mean, just the name. Top Thrill Dragster. Top. That's good. Thrill. Awesome. Dragster. Fast. Great. This is where I need to be. Got in line, waited 45 minutes, sitting in that chair. I'm in the and the thing, and they, you know, comes down, and, and the guy's going around. He's checking, he's checking, he's checking. And he gets a little aggressive with it. I'm like, dude, chill out. Like, what is this? And he says, you might want to put your head back, sir. I'm like, I'm fine. Like, like, you already pushed my chest. I think you need to walk on by. Put your head back, sir. Okay, fine. And I'm sitting there talking to the guy next to me and starting to talk, starting to talk, this and this. And we hear beep, beep, beep. <laughs> and I wasn't, I wasn't, I should have had my head back, really. I wasn't prepared so you know I was, I was talking and boom and, and I'm sitting there, I'm getting ready to scream because you know you're on a roller because you want to scream uh, my breath was gone I couldn't I had I was breathless I'd never been that way it was so scary it was terrifying when I got to the top it, the only thing that came out was this girl ah! like it was it was not a manly scream it took my breath away literally Come back down, go back through. I mean, it was awesome. So, imagine that, right? And then the comparison is the teacups. You know what I'm talking about the teacups. Sit in them, do, 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 go around, right? And the kids love it; they think it's awesome. And yet, it's not quite the same, right? Doesn't quite have the same sound, teacups. But that's nice. I'll sip on that a little bit. Yeah. Now, I, I do have a story about the teacups where my son Theo tried to make the teacups like Top Thrill Dragster. <laughs> um, didn't turn out well for anybody, but that's a, that's another story. But imagine comparing those two. Uh-huh. You got this incredible, thrilling, amazing experience, and then you have the teacups. The, the Israelites that saw the original temple, they could not comprehend what had happened. They were supposed to celebrate this before them. They were supposed to feel good about what they were, what they were looking at. And this is what happens when your experience does not meet your expectations and you lose hope. So their experience that they had had does not now allow them to even be able to enjoy what's before them. And they lost hope. Like we had something so great and now we've we've got this. Sometimes when you feel like these guys do, they've been exiled, they've been in a famine, and now they've got this mediocre temple. You feel like you've been beat up, you've been abandoned, you're barely hanging on, and then bam, some more bad news. You just lost your job and and you, how can I go any further? What can I, can I go through any more? And boom, yeah. mortgages do. You don't have it. Ooh. I just, just got out of a relationship, and I'm just, I'm just spent. There's nothing more that I can put into any kind of effort. And boom, get the news. Yeah. My dad is sick. Yeah. You ever feel like that? You're in a situation where everything is just coming against you, and then there's just one more little salt. In the wound and you feel hopeless when that happens and I don't, I'm not going to say if because I'm not promising you life will be easy Jesus doesn't do it and I'm not going to do it when that happens Come on. you don't lose hope and start to go into things that will satisfy you in a temporary fashion you don't need to go to a feel good empty philosophies that will tickle your ears and make you feel good about where you are those will only last so long they're not eternal y'all you don't need to go to material possessions to buy the, the most expensive things to make yourself feel good about, I've got this, though. I may be hopeless, but I've got these. The, these are vans. These are not that cool. I've got these. I've got my house. I've got this car. You don't need to band-aid your fears and insecurities and pain. You don't. You don't need outward approval from strangers who don't even know you. They'll never meet them. You don't need to put yourself out there and say, please validate me. God validates you. That's where you get your validation from. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So when you're hopeless, don't get into all these other things. Just draw near to God. Call out to God. God, I need you to come close to me because I don't feel you. I need you to come close to me because I don't, I don't know where the hope's going to come from. I need you to come near. I need you to, I need you to heal this pain. But more than anything, I just need you. A second point, God promises himself. God's promise to us is himself. He says, draw near to God and I will draw near to you. That's the promise that he gives. And we see that in this passage. Verse 4 in this passage says, yet now be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. This command is made multiple times, and we see Moses encouraging Joshua, and we see King David encouraging his son Solomon. He's passing on the kingdom, and he's saying, you need to know that God's with you. And Solomon's like, I I don't have the experience. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to build this temple. And he says, don't fear. Be, Be strong. God is with you. Don't fear. Be strong. Do the work. Do the work. Don't worry about the externals. Be strong. Do the work. God's with you. Now, everything about what I'm saying, I know it seems like, wow, you're just saying all this stuff. You don't even know what I'm going through. You got no clue the junk that I'm going through. It's too much. What I'm going through is more than you can imagine, Deshaun. You you may be right. It may be more than what I can imagine. It's not more than what God can imagine. Amen. It's not too much for God. Amen. It's not. It's not too much for Jesus. Never. I, I guarantee you that. Whatever you're going through, if you feel like it's, it's just too much, it's beyond what I can yes. even put into words, right. trust and believe that God knows what yes. you are going through. Yes. And he's with you. Amen. I feel emotional for somebody. I don't know why. but Hallelujah. One of the truly special things about this church is I think we really try to live out the reality um, that that the life-changing church happens outside of these walls like yeah this is great and I love preaching because I love going into the word and learning and then being able to share that it's great but the life-changing aspect of church does not occur just within these walls it happens in the huddles it happens in your communities it happens in the moments when you face opposition that's when the life-changing situations occur And I think God has sustained us and he's gotten us through a lot as a church. And he will continue to get us through a lot. And I know he's he's sustained and gotten gotten, gotten you all through some things that I I don't even know about. But the one thing that he promises us is his presence. And, And I think if we can grow and continue to mature as a church and stay focused on his mission and stay focused on his word and stay focused on him, there's no limits to what God can do through us. If we commit ourselves to studying his word and really understanding what this thing does for us, I I really feel like the, the sky's the limit. I really do. It may not look the same. This building may not exist. I don't know. But God will continue to use this body of people. I guarantee that. Now, this task of bringing hope to the community. This task of bringing hope to those who are far off, those who are lost, who are abandoned. This task of saying, hey, we've got this hopeful thing we want to share with you. It's a monumental task, and we cannot do it on our own. We can't. We can try. We can put programs in place. We can can establish systems to try to propagate the gospel out there, but we can't do it on our own. That will only go so far. We We can do all those things, but we need to remember that the words that God says to the remnant in 520 is, Fear not, for I am with you, right? He doesn't give them all the answers. He doesn't give them he doesn't give them the way out. He just promises us his presence. He promises us his spirit. It's fear not, for I am with you. What are you keeping? What's what fear is keeping you from stepping into God's work? What's what's that thing that's got you you know, I would, but what would they think of me? I would, but uh, man, I just feel like I'll be looked at funny or I've worked so hard for, for this position and this job I've worked so hard to build up this reputation if I if I jump into this I'm afraid that I'm going to lose everything I've worked for whatever that fear is I, I urge you to place your trust in God for for it place your trust in him put your belief in Jesus and, and he will and he he'll, he'll he'll make it right he'll he'll he will sustain you he will keep you exactly where you need to be it may not be easy. You're not going to have all the answers, but he's going to be with you. Last point is God's timing is right on time. God's timing is right on time. So verse 6 says, in just a little while, in just a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the oceans and the dry land, and I will shake the nations. Scholars say that when Haggai spoke here, he was prophesying about the fall of the Babylonian Empire, which the Israelites had just been uh, exiled in and released from and then the Babylonians would fall to the Greeks and the Greeks would fall to the Romans and when the Romans would come about then God would fill this temple with glory that's what Haggai was prophesying about that's what scholars are saying the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past says the Lord of hosts and in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts so this little phrase yet once more in a little while By say in a little while just in a little while just in a little while. It seems so simple. What do you mean? Like five years? Like 10 years? Like next week? So remember, Haggai, again, is prophesying to a remnant of people who have been through exile, hunger, thirst. They're tired of working at this temple, and they're seeing not much progress. On top of that, the work that they're doing is being compared to this glorious temple that most of them have never seen, but those who have seen it are going around weeping about it because it's unimpressive. This current temple is unimpressive. So when Haggai says, in a little while... There's a certain expectation. There's anticipation. We've been going through it, Lord. You said in a little while. So yeah, our backs are going to straighten up. We're going to start working fast. Come on, everybody. He said in a little while. He said in a little while he's going to make it right. And the prophecy of deliverance and the restoration of this glorious temple, it does happen. It really does. God's not a liar. It's just that his timeline's a little different than ours. So in a little while to him was 500 years. 500 years. See, they completed the the temple that they were working on in five years. Uh Five years from the time we read this to the time the temple is completed. That's when they they complete. But for 500 years, this temple would sit, and it would serve the community. It would do what it needed to, but it did not have the glory of the old temple. So in 500 years, though, this is delayed gratification. Go with me here. In 500 years, Mm -hmm. they experienced something. They experienced the glory of God. See, in 500 years, this guy named Herod would come about and he would expand the temple. He would adorn it. He would make it beautiful. He was a narcissist. And so he thought, I'm completing the prophecy. I'm the one who got the temple built to its glory. I did it. And he finished it and made it beautiful and said, come and see this glorious temple that I built. And he thought it was done. The people thought it was done. They hadn't seen the old temple. So yeah, okay, yeah, he did it. And so this guy. He, he built the temple, and, and, and everybody thought that was it, but you know what? There's a little phrase in the passage we just read that says, and peace would come from this place. Now, if you know anything about Herod, he's not necessarily a peaceful guy, y'all. Not the most peaceful guy. Matter of fact, he went around trying to kill a bunch of two-year-olds. That's really sick. I'm just saying. He's not a peaceful guy. But peace came in the form of an infant who was dedicated at the temple, and he would return to that temple every three years. As was the Israelite custom until he was 12. And when he was 12, this young boy would sit in the temple and he would debate with the religious leaders. And they would look at him and they're like, how do you know these things? This is amazing. How do you know these things? And then fast forward. The same boy would come back as a man, and 20 years later or some odd years later, he would be humiliated before his very own people. He would be beaten, last crucified, for for proclaiming that he was God with us. He was Emmanuel. He was the promise of glory. And when he died, the curtain that separated the people, the holy of holies from the people, the curtain that, that kept back God's glory from killing people because it was too strong, it was too holy for our let's just say sinful selves, that same curtain was torn in half from top to bottom. At the moment that he died, that divide between us and God was torn down. And we got access. Everybody got access to God through the Son, Jesus. And after Jesus died and got up from the grave and ascended to heaven, he left his disciples with some instructions. He said, you are to go and make disciples of all nations, and you are to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you are to command them everything that I've taught you. And surely, to the end of the age, I will be with you. That's his promise. He doesn't say, surely, to the end of the age, I'm going to make you successful, I'm going to make you rich, I'm going to make you a glorious church. No, he says, surely, to the end of the age, I will be with you. He promised himself. God's spirit was stirred up, and the world was changed. Things have never been the same, and yet we still have work to do. You look around, Do honest response here. When you look around, driving up, come here, do, do you, does it seem like, like everything is, is okay? In your lives, in your personal lives, in your situations, in your heart right now, does this seem like, like oh, it's all good, I'm good. God's glory came, and so I'm, I'm set. We still got work to do. See, 3rd Street is five years old, which is awesome. Five years was more than many thought we'd make it. Right? In the grand scheme of God's timeline, when God says in a little while and it's 500 years, five years is a blip on the map. But let me tell you something. My Bible tells me that God can do more with a blip than what the world can do with... Well, I don't know what bigger than a blip is, but this thing right here. <laughs> God can use a blip to change the course of entire families, entire communities, entire cities, entire countries, entire continents. God is not far off. He is with us. And when Jesus was preparing to be crucified, he gave a promise, and he said to his disciples that we need to carry into the future. He said, look, John fourteen fifteen. if you love me, Obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be there with you forever. Even in the spirit of truth, he will remind you of the spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jump down to 21, it says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus promised himself. That was what we got. Jesus promised himself. And he said that if we would call out to him, he'll draw close to us. I'm finishing up. I'm getting close. I'm getting close. I'm telling you. So we could spend the rest of our existence here on earth striving to make life comfortable for ourselves, to build our own fancy houses, to make ourselves feel good, We're talking about the glory of the past, how things were. Man, I remember how things were before I became a Christian. I had so much money. Then he asked me to start tithing and giving to causes. (laughs) Or we could be distracted by the cultural ideals around us that say, hey, this is how you should be living. This is what society and psychological studies say is the way you should be living. Or you could be fixating on your pain. You could spend the rest of your life fixating on your pain, saying, I've got this pain. and This pain, you never understand this pain. God, you don't know this pain. You could spend the rest of your life doing that. Or you could believe in the word that Jesus said, that he's with us. And the picture of the final glory in Revelation 21, and this is it. In Revelation 21, we see the final fulfillment of what Haggai was prophesying. See, Jesus came and, and gave us his presence and we can experience in him now. And then we get this final glory that we can look forward to. It says in Revelation 21, it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be with his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. This is the promise that we look forward to, Third Street. The future hope that we can put our our trust in. But in the present, we know that God is with us. That's the hope we have. Jesus is with us. The Spirit of God has been promised to us if we will believe in him. And is is that enough? It has to be. So we're going to move into a time of response by worshiping and taking communion together. I'm going to invite the